You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Thursday, the 8th of October. And if you live in New York or Oklahoma, Friday is your last chance to register to vote in this election. So go to votevotevote.com and get registered now. Because remember, if you don't vote, you can't complain. And honestly, guys, complaining is really fun. Like if I could, I would spend all day complaining, but I can't because I have to do this stupid show. I got to come to work and there's Corona and there's like never any time to complain and I hate it. Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, Mike Pence is the Lord of the Flies. Jordan Klepper talks to Trump supporters about Corona and why Donald J. Trump is social distancing from the next presidential debate. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off with last night's vice presidential debate. The first and only debate between the two people who will take over if the president falls in the shower. And it was a weird situation from the start because there is a real chance that Pence could have COVID-19 even though he's tested negative. And that fear wasn't helped when Pence's eye threw a gender reveal party. Pink, it's a girl! Blood pink, it's a girl! So to keep everyone safe, the debate commission decided to install plexiglass barriers on stage, which sounded good until we saw the barriers. And they were basically just the sneeze guards from Sizzlers. I mean, seriously, who thought of a thin sheet of plexiglass being a good idea? Oh, this will stop the coronavirus. Viruses can't go up, right? They don't go up, they just go like this. But once you got past the whole plague thing, the debate itself was actually pretty normal. Two calm, poised candidates exchanging lines that they had been practicing for weeks over the course of a largely uneventful 90 minutes. You know what it felt like? It was, it's kind of like a throwback to what campaigns used to be like. You know, before Donald Trump arrived on the scene and turned every political event into a monster truck rally on cocaine. Because you remember in the last debate, Trump would not shut up for a second. And Pence, he doesn't have it in him to be that obnoxiously rude. But he did take one important lesson from Trump's performance. When the moderator tells you that your time is up, that's really more of a suggestion than a rule. There are no more hurricanes today than Thank there you. were a hundred years ago. Thank you. But many of the climate alarmists use hurricanes sorry, and wildfires to try and Thank sell the bill of goods Pence. of a Green New Deal. He said it was hysterical. He said it Thank was xenophobic. Thank you, Vice President Pence. But President Trump Vice has President stood Pence, up to China. Up. We're going to continue to stand strong. Thank you, Vice President Pence. Under President Trump's leadership, Thank you, Vice we'll President always Pence. stand with law enforcement and we'll do what we've done from day one and is improve the lives of African-Americans. Thank you, Record unemployment. Pence. President Donald Trump not only respects but reveres all of those who serve in our armed forces. And any suggestion otherwise is ridiculous. But Let thank me you, also Vice say, okay, I I would think that after trying, thank you, Vice President, thank you, thank you, Vice President, thirty times, you might try out a different line like, yo, stop it, yo, Vice President, yo, Pence, shut the f- up. The problem with saying thank you, Vice President Pence, is that it's just too gentle. Like for all we know, in Mike Pence's mind, he thought. She was just his hype man. Thank you, Vice President Pence. Oh, you tell them, Vice President Pence. Yo, you see that? Yo, that's my boy, Vice President Pence. Thank you. And honestly, you know what this shows? 
This shows you that Donald Trump is a bad influence on innocent little Mike Pence. Four years ago, Pence would never have dreamed of being a rule breaker, but look at him now. If Pence spends four more years with Trump, by the end of the next term, he'll be polyamorous with mother and some dude named Wildcat he met in a biker gang. And at some point, I'm not even sure why debates like these have moderators. Like, what is their job? Because it's not cutting off the candidates and it's definitely not holding them accountable for what they say. I mean, anybody. Anybody can say anything they want in these debates and there's nobody calling them out for it. I, I, I really don't get why you can't fact check the candidates when they lie. In fact, most of the lies you can pre-fact check because these people use the same lies over and over again. You don't even have to wait for them to say it. The moderator could just be like, uh, this next question is about healthcare and Mike Pence, please don't say you and Trump have a plan to protect pre-existing conditions because we all know that's BS. And President Trump and I have a plan to, to improve healthcare and to protect, protect pre-existing conditions for every American. Bitch, what did I just say? But look, not everything is the moderator's problem. Ultimately, it's up to the candidates to decide what kind of debate they're going to have. And last night, it seemed like both candidates made the choice to dodge any questions that they didn't feel like answering. Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris tackled the issues and exchanged attacks, but they spent much of the night dodging critical questions. Harris wouldn't answer the question about the court packing. Pence wouldn't answer the question about why the U.S. death rate from COVID is so much worse than any other wealthy country, and he wouldn't commit to a peaceful transfer of power. Both candidates did a great job of not answering questions. They didn't want to answer uh, from climate change to China. Uh, they did a good job of sort of ducking and dodging. It's wild to me that you can just refuse to answer a question when you're applying for the second most important job in the country. There is not a single other job that would let you do that. Even if you were applying to be a grocery store clerk and they asked you, do you have a criminal record? You could never say, man, I'll tell you what a crime was, what happened to Issa and Molly's relationship this season. Friends gotta stick together, man. That's what I think. So I start Tuesday, but let's be honest here. While Kamala Harris definitely dodged the hell out of that court packing question, it was Pence who was dodging topics all night, like they were a PG-13 movie. And look, I get it. Defending Donald Trump is like trying to sell a house that is currently on fire. It is not an easy job. I know, I know, but just think about how much you'll save on the heating bill, huh? Now, it would be unfair to say that no part of last night was worth watching, because for a couple of minutes, Specifically, two minutes and nine seconds, the debate got amazing. A fly stole the spotlight. It landed on Vice President Mike Pence's head and stayed there for about two minutes. Everyone but Pence seemed to notice. The fly that landed on Mr. Pence's head and sat there for two minutes and nine seconds. I thought that the most effective uh, being on that stage to go after Vice President Pence was that fly that landed on his head. <laughs> Who would have predicted a fly yeah. would steal the show? Okay, can I just say that I was not surprised at all to see that fly land on Mike Pence. First of all, even a fly knows better than to touch a black woman's hair. And second, have you seen Mike Pence? The guy has bloody eyes and the world's palest skin. That fly probably thought he was a dead body. Fly was like, yo, this is where I be. And I was like, whoa, this shit moved. And look, flies land on people all the time. There's nothing crazy about that. What was crazy is how long it sat there for. Even Trump was watching at home like, wow, two minutes with Mike Pence. I could never do that. We gotta get that fly into the White House. Such a powerful, strong fly. So 
That was the vice presidential debate. But if you think you found it frustrating as a viewer, that's nothing compared to how frustrated Kamala Harris was. And you could tell, because from the minute the evening started, Kamala was throwing out, are you kidding me, facial expressions faster than the internet could even mean them. And while a lot of people felt her pain, certain other people did not. Well, not even the plexiglass could contain that strong side eye that Kamala Harris was giving the vice president. And I think what people took away from it was a bit abrasive, a bit condescending. I don't think she did a good job of making herself likable and the scowls and the funny faces were not that helpful. Those facial expressions and the way she behaved were really off-putting. She could do a little more than make these awkward smiles and just shake her head. The only real mistake Kamala Harris made tonight was over-smirking, over-smiling. That same kind of haughty, um, uh, smug, smirking framework that it is not a good look on men or women. Yeah, you know what, guys? I hate to admit it, but these guys on Fox News are right. Kamala Harris shouldn't be making expressions with her face during a debate. She should be more like Mike Pence. Keep a stone-cold serial killer stare and express all your emotion through your one bloody eye. Because to me, these criticisms always reveal so much about men who are uncomfortable with a woman in power. You know, they're like, her demeanor was so unlikable. What is she gonna do next? Tell me I'm a disappointment to her and my stepfather for coming home from the sleepover early after I wet the bed, huh? Cause I don't do that anymore. When we come back, we'll talk about why the next debate is in danger of being canceled. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. We've been talking about last night's vice presidential debate, but let's face it, the real action is at the top of the ticket. You know, it's the same way no one ever goes to a concert for the opening act. I mean, the only reason they're even playing is just to give you some time to smoke weed in the restroom and then get really high, you know? Cause you don't wanna get high while the main thing is happening. You gotta go there and then get high before the thing. Then you come up and you're like, this is amazing. Who was here before? I don't care. Now, the next debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden was supposed to take place next Thursday. But then one of the candidates let himself get infected with a deadly virus. We don't need to get into who, but either way, that changed everything. Commission on Presidential Debates just announced that the second scheduled debate between President Trump and Joe Biden will be virtual. It'll be a virtual debate in the form of a town meeting. The Biden campaign says the former vice president will participate in a virtual debate, but President Trump just moments ago said no. I'm not going to waste my time on a virtual debate. That's not what debating's all about. You sit behind a computer and do a debate. It's ridiculous. And then they cut you off whenever they want. Oh, man. You got to love Trump sometimes. He's just openly admitting that he won't do a virtual debate because they'd make him follow the rules. Can you imagine a debate where you stop talking when your time is up? That's not a world I want to live in. Now, to be honest, Trump hating Zoom is maybe the most relatable thing that he has done since he became president. But if Trump didn't want to do a virtual debate, you know what he could have done? Not gotten coronavirus, motherfucker! That was an option. Yeah, you can't get coronavirus and then get mad when they switch things up so that your ass doesn't get everybody else coronavirus like you. Now, it's still unclear what's gonna happen with this debate. Biden said that he'll hold a town hall on his own that night. 
And the Trump campaign is pushing to move the debate schedule back a week so that they can be in person again. But who knows? In a way, I'm not surprised at all by Trump's reaction here. If he understood how the coronavirus works, and if he actually cared about not spreading it, he would want to do a virtual debate. Unfortunately, neither of those things seem to be true, which Trump made abundantly clear once again in an interview today. Look, I want to go back to to the coronavirus for a moment now. You say you feel great, but the media is out there saying, well, you're contagious. Do you feel that you are? No, I don't think I'm contagious, but we still have to wait. You're ready to go to a rally. I don't think I'm contagious at all. Well, first of all, if I'm at a rally, I stand by myself very far away from everybody. Remember this, when you catch it, you get better, and then you're immune. You know, as soon as everything goes away from me, you're immune. First of all, Props to Maria Bartiromo for the hard-hitting questions. Do you feel that you are contagious? Oof, that was journalism. But also, what in God's good name is Trump talking about? When you catch it, you get better and then you're immune? There are 210,000 people in this country who will definitely disagree with that statement. Sometimes I wonder if this is the president talking or if the coronavirus has just taken control of his brain. It's actually fun to get infected with me. I mean, with coronavirus. Trust me, guys. Getting infected with me, I mean, with coronavirus, is a great thing. And look, I'm glad that Trump seems to be recovering from his illness, mostly because if COVID beats him, then it would become president, you know, Wakanda style. But I kind of wish that there was a symptom of COVID that left people unable to open their mouths because... Ever since Trump came out of the hospital, he's been talking like he's some kind of medical expert, which he most definitely is not. Hi, perhaps you recognize me. It's your favorite president. And I'm standing in front of the Oval Office at the White House. I wasn't feeling so hot. And within a very short period of time, they gave me Regeneron. It's called Regeneron. And other things too, but I think this was the key. But they gave me Regeneron. And it was like unbelievable. I felt good immediately. We have medicines right now, and I call them a cure. I went into the hospital a week ago, I was very sick, and I took this medicine, and it was incredible. It was incredible. I I could have walked out the following day. We're gonna make them available immediately. We're taking care of our seniors. You're not vulnerable, but they like to say the vulnerable, but you're the least vulnerable. But for this one thing, you are vulnerable. Ah, it's always nice to get a clear public health message from the president. Seniors are not vulnerable, but they're also the most vulnerable, but they're totally invulnerable. I think I nailed it, guys. In the second take, one take. That's what I do. I beat it, I kill it, just like I did with Corona, baby. (coughs) By the way, how messed up is it that Trump spent months telling everyone to take hydroxychloroquine But then when he actually had the chance to take it, he dumped it for a younger, hotter drug. Hydroxychloroquine is probably scrolling through Instagram right now like, oh, I get it. You're with Regeneron now? Okay, okay, I'm happy for you, Trump. But this is crazy, guys. Trump thinks that because he got better, he found a miracle cure and coronavirus isn't a problem anymore? I mean, that's a pretty dangerous thing to tell people. Honestly, the only medically appropriate thing about these videos is that clearly Trump's staff locked him out of the White House for two weeks. So there's nothing responsible or presidential about what Trump is doing right now, 
But the good news is, if he loses in November, this man has definitely got a backup career hosting infomercials. Hi, perhaps you recognize me. It's your favorite president. I got back a day ago from Walter Reed Medical Center. I went in, I wasn't feeling so hot. And within a very short period of time, they gave me Regeneron, called Regeneron. And it was like unbelievable. It just made me better. Okay, I call that a cure. I want to get for you what I got, and I'm going to make it free. I think this was a blessing from God that I caught it, because I feel great. You're going to get better, you're going to get better fast, just like I did. So again, a blessing in disguise. Good luck. Oh boy, I'm ordering now. All right, we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, Jordan Klepper visits a Trump super spreader event. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Before Donald Trump got corona, he was running around the country holding giant, crowded rallies with all his supporters. Crazy, right? What's even crazier is we sent Jordan Klepper down to one of those rallies for another installment of Fingers the Pulse. On the day Donald Trump most likely contracted COVID at an event in the Rose Garden, he hosted another slightly different kind of super spreader event, a campaign rally. These rallies are a known vector for spreading many of Trump's favorite lies. So I traveled to the battleground state of Pennsylvania to see just how many people had caught Trump's version of reality. I'm here at a Trump rally in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We are weeks away from the election, months away from finding out who wins and probably about a year away from losing a loved one to the inevitable civil war. Let's do this. Yeah! Make America great again. Woo! 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 Rambo flag, classic. How's it going? Mind if I check out some of your stuff? Yesterday we did $5,400 in sales. What is selling now? Is there anything 200,000 deaths later that doesn't quite work as well? Not with the Trump stuff. It's almost as if uh, the yeah. Trump stuff isn't affected by that at all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Tell me about these shorts. Well, we got the Donald Trump shorts. You know, we got a rep president today. You gotta be careful. Donald Trump that close to your genitals. In a decade, he's gonna deny he was ever there and countersue. <laughs> Pretty funny. When did you get out here to see Donald Trump? Uh, about 26 hours ago, 10 o'clock yesterday morning. So you're gonna wait two days to see the president? First of all, come on, Donald Trump is our first rock star superhero president. He's the real life Tony Stark. They should call him President Iron Man. Well, Tony Stark gave a shit about science. <laughs> so much excitement in the air. So many droplets. You feel like people are gonna feel this effect for weeks to come. Why no mask? Frankly, I forgot it in my car. I forgot to grab it on the way out. Honestly, it's not even for COVID. I just think all of the Sharpie fumes are oh, not yeah. super healthy for you. Probably not, yeah. when it was still wet. <laughs> what do you think about uh, the whole mask situation right now? Are you worried about COVID? Um, for me, like me personally, I'm not worried, but my dad has like underlying health conditions. Okay. So if, if he gets it, he's gonna be in trouble. Why come here and take that risk if your dad has health issues? Just to see Trump. So it's, it's worth a little bit of risk. Yeah. Nice flags, man. I love them. <laughs> Wear a mask. Back at it. 
The efficacy of Trump's herd mentality theory was on full display. That's America right there. That's freedom. That's freedom? That's freedom. Are you excited about the SCOTUS Of pick? course I am. What are you excited about? Uh, it's going to fill the court with constitutional loving Americans again. Mm -hmm. That court has been too liberal for too long. Really? Of course it has. You're pro-life? Of course. It's important for Americans to do whatever they can to protect a human life. Yes. Why aren't you wearing a mask? I mean, again, it's a personal choice, I think. If everybody was wearing them and everybody said put a mask on, I would respect everybody's wishes and put it on. Uh -huh. We're not cheap. We're not lines. cheap. We're not cheap. But if everybody here was wearing masks. If everybody was wearing but again, we're not cheap. You're not cheap. We're not. So you're going to look at what everybody's doing and you're going to follow That's along. That's it. Yeah. But not cheap. Not cheap. As the not sheep were bravely running into a tightly packed airplane hangar to see patient zero, I couldn't help but think of D-Day and the beaches of Normandy. Well, I don't know which side they're on. As I traced the spread of bullshit, I was fearful for those most vulnerable whose defenses were already compromised. Uh, about two months before COVID started, I somebody put me on to QAnon. Great. And I believe some of it, and I don't believe some of it, but I believe only so much can be a conspiracy. I think a lot of it's true. You know about QAnon. Is there anything you can tell us that I don't know? JFK Jr. is still alive. What? This guy is always behind Trump at the rallies. So you're saying JFK Jr is still alive and spending his time in the background at Trump rally. From, Q from QAnon, yes. Do you think racism exists in America? I do not believe that people hate each other as much as... You don't think racism is a problem in America? I do not think it's a problem now. But there's a potential that JFK Jr. is alive and here at a Trump rally. Maybe. <laughs> Hilarious. But with just over a month until the voters go to the polls, had the president somehow already contaminated election day? If Biden is elected... Uh-huh. You trust the results? No. No. They're cheaters. No. But if Trump wins, do you trust the results? Yes, absolutely. I think mail-in ballots is not going to be fair because it leads to fraud and stuff. You don't. You don't trust mail-in ballots. Not at all. The president uses mail-in ballots. Yeah, for they're going to use mail-in ballots for this upcoming election, right? Right. But the president himself uses mail-in ballots. Oh, he does. Where? He, that's how he votes. He mails it in. That's yeah, that's different. I don't, How's it different? I don't, I don't know. I honestly didn't know that. I don't even know what you're talking about. But you do know it's different. After hours in the heavily contaminated parking lot, I wanted to self-quarantine and chill. But I still had one burning question. Are you in a better place than you were four years ago? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is America in a better place than they were four years I ago? I believe absolutely. We have now, higher now. unemployment, we have 200,000 people dead due to COVID, and we have riots in the streets. Yes, let me just tell you this much. Yes, I'm doing much better. I'm literally making four times as much as I was making when Obama was president. What do you do? I work for a debt relief company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So now, as a debt relief employee, you make more money under Donald Trump. Yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's good to be a white debt relief collector. Thank you so much for that, Jordan. All right, when we come back, I'll be talking politics with the one and only Alex Wagner. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with Alex Wagner, the co-host and executive producer of The Circus. We talked about this crazy election cycle and what it's actually like on the ground in America. Alex Wagner, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> Trevor, it's nice to see you from several miles apart. Your show, The Circus, has in many ways captured what America is dealing with 
but I feel like more than ever, this the circus is on fire right now. Like there's like there's an elephant that's on the loose, and the tent poles are falling, and there, there there's chaos. Do you think circus even captures what you're covering in politics today? Well, I mean, it's a catchier name than like the apocalypse, which is sort of what it feels like. And when people refer to the circus, quite literally, I'm not sure whether they're talking about the show or what's happening in American politics. This is not something that's ever happened before. At stake is liberal democracy. This is really, truly a test in self-governance. Does the Mm -hmm. model work? Mm -hmm. And I think we can lose sight of the enormity of the sort of questions at hand when we're caught up in the sort of minute-by-minute news cycle chaos pandemonium. I mean, we are living through a historical experiment right now. It really feels like that and... and it feels like there are so many parts of the, um, I think, the system that are designed to make it more chaotic. Like, when you're watching a debate like last night between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris, are you, do you see anybody as winning or does it just feel like the people just go out and they talk and then everyone goes back to their corners? I mean, the person who wins is the person who the fly doesn't land on. That's, like, generally the rule of thumb. But, uh, to, I mean, to be, to be real about it, I think 2016 taught us that it doesn't really matter who the collective sort of like media elite think wins or Mm -hmm, won. mm -hmm. I mean, Hillary Clinton won those debates and yet Donald Trump is president. Donald Trump has proven that he has the ability to say, I won no matter what, and 33% of the country is going to believe him. So, you know, I watched the debate last night and I thought these people are each doing a good job of talking to their tribes. There is no, there is going to be, be no general consensus about who did well and who did not, because we have reached the point in American politics where the partisan divide is so steep that, you know, a basic performance can no longer be graded on the merits of what is said and done. It is always going to fall into a tribal divide. One of the more eye-opening interviews you did or your show did was with Steve Bannon. Oh, yeah. Former advisor slash BFF to the president. I don't know what their relationship really is. All I know is he said that Trump is going to contest this election at all costs and he's going to make it a fight regardless of what happens to try and make sure that the election is his how do you process that information? Like, do you go like, this guy is just, it's just bluster, or do you think it's its real? I think Steve Bannon has a window into Trump's soul that very few uh, do, which is why he's a very useful narrator in this moment. But uh, I think he's right. I mean, first of all, I, I think there is zero chance that Trump is going to concede. Even if he does not create complete chaos in the aftermath of the election, there is no chance that Trump comes out of here saying, I lost. It's just, as, a, as, as someone who is perhaps a clinical narcissist, I'm not sure, but as some, it is a violation of his sort of core ethic to admit a loss. And that mm-hmm. is not going to happen. The, the ultimate question lies with Republican governors and Republicans in legislatures um, and in, in Congress. Are you going to be foot soldiers for chaos? Are you going to you, fall in line with you what- You speak the to them. You speak to them. What have they said? Are, do they seem like they're going to go with Trump if he just refuses to concede or- are they going to pull another flip-flop and be like, no, we would never do this, and then they're just going to be marching down the streets after the election with him? You know, I think that they're, they're, it's like sort of the, the, tw- the twin poles of republicanism. There's one faction of Republicans that realize that Donald Trump is the party, and if they are to survive, they have to keep the base with them. If they are going to stay in office, they have to keep the base with them. And so they may be reluctant to say, we are going to follow him no matter what he says after November yeah. 3rd, but they will. And then there's another faction of Republicans who understand how poison 
poisonous Trump has been for the GOP on whole. And they may be thinking, listen, if he's lost, then this is our chance to get rid of him and try and refashion the party into something that resembles what it used to. I think it's largely going to rest on how close the election is. If you have elections that are really tight in Florida, in Pennsylvania, then there's more of a case to be made for a whole series of lawsuits, endless litigation, recounts that, you know, rival what happened in Florida in 2000. If it's a much bigger margin... Trump's still not going to concede, but I think the 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 opportunities for trickery and chicanery lessen greatly. This has been a very different season for you because you've you've still been out there during a pandemic and you've found different ways to make the show and still be safe. What are some of the things you felt about America on the ground as you navigate throughout the country? There is a deep and profound sense of heartbreak. I mean, I will never forget going to Kenosha. And it's not just Kenosha, it's also Milwaukee and parts of Madison and everything was boarded up. And your first instinct is to think, oh, everything's shuttered here. But those businesses were still open. And it was kind of, uh, a, a, I won't say a metaphor because it was happening in, in the real world, but it, it told you all you needed to know about how closed off we've be- become from one another, right. about how sort of dark the future looks for everybody. And then the sense of palpable anxiety and fury. And I don't want to say it's completely hopeless, but I have never sensed, um, the sadness that I do and the, and the true anxiety, you know, and I think some of the times that anxiety and sadness takes a form of vitriol and you see mm-hmm. that on display at the, the, especially at some of the Trump rallies that are still happening. And right. on the flip side, on the Biden side, you know, I was at a drive-in rally in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and there is a sense of brokenness and a desire to be made whole that is unlike any other period in American politics. Wow. But I also think you're witnessing something in American politics, and it is asymmetrical. One party is no longer just saying the other side is wrong. They're saying the other side is evil. And that is a really disconcerting development, right? I mean, when Reagan was – when someone tried to kill Ronald Reagan in 1981, Reagan is ailing in his hospital bed. And the Speaker of the House, a Democrat, Tip O'Neill, is one of the very few people admitted into the hospital. and And he gets down on his knees and prays with Reagan. It is impossible to imagine Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi doing the same. (laughs) And by the way, it is not because Nancy Pelosi doesn't say regularly, I pray for Donald Trump. But I think that there was a decision, uh, and and I would really put this more on the right than the left, that... To, po- to poison the groundwater and to say right. this isn't just about a policy difference. This is about a way of life and this is about a kind of people that are not American and mm-hmm. they don't belong here and they are not part of our vision for the country. And once you make it deeply personal and take it into the realm of the emotional, it makes it really hard to build a bridge back. Unfortunately, building the bridge back is the task of the next decade, right? I mean, Trumpism Trump may, be, may not be in office, but Trumpism right. is the Republican Party. It is Republicanism at this point. And it will be incumbent, I think, on progressives and Democrats, however unfair it may be, to build back that bridge with, wh- with whoever is left on the other side and wanting to make that happen. There's a lot of work to be done. Alex, uh, as always, I appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Um, good luck with your travels out there. Good luck with the family. And uh, I'll see you next time, hopefully in person. Thanks, Trevor. Always great to see you. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, the deadline to register to vote is coming up in many states. If you haven't registered yet, or you aren't sure if you have, time is running out to make sure that you can cast your vote in November. All you need to do is go to votevotevote.com 
to check your registration status. Until next week, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, if you're ever asked a tough question, just answer a different one. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 